and welcome to the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and pop culture. I am Nicky Kemp of the Clan Kemp. I was born in 1981 in Aberdeen Royal Infirmary in Aberdeen. And I'm sad to say I'm not immortal, but I am joined by Greg. How are you today, Greg? Very well. I'm, I was born Greg McPhee of the Clan McPhee in July 1978 in Stophill Hospital in the north of Glasgow. And I too am not immortal, unfortunately. I don't know. Would you want to be immortal? Oh, I think we can discuss that later on. <laughs> How's everything going with you this week? Anything exciting been happening in your world? It's been snowing all week. You know, in fact, it hasn't been snowing all week here. It snowed last weekend, and I think the snow stopped on Monday, but it's still snow outside. It's It's been like minus two, minus three every day, so the snow hasn't actually shifted. So although it hasn't snowed since, I think, Monday, it's still very snowy. You'll be, you won't, or should I say, you won't be surprised to hear that there are, there's no snow in Dubai. In fact, the weather here is starting to creep up a wee bit, um, temperature-wise. It's getting warmer. It, it has been foggy in the mornings, but otherwise hot and sunny here. Hot and sunny every day, hot and sunny. So, although, as I was going to say, I, I have been uh, watching with uh, interest all the snow pornography that uh, my friends back in the UK have been posting on Facebook, sledging, snowmen, snowball fights, cars stuck in the snow, bodies stuck. I saw a video of a woman in Edinburgh who appears to push a milk lorry single-handed up a street in Dunfermline and apparently can look forward to free milk for a whole year. Well, speaking of which, shall we have a look at some news from Scotland this week? Absolutely. Hello, this is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation and here is what's been going on in the news. Would you like to... Let's go first this week. Yeah, I can. I'll go first this week. Uh, Now, I used to... I became a vegetarian uh, nearly a year ago now. Pescatarian, I would say. I I still eat fish, but I I stopped eating meat. And one thing that I do miss, and I missed it uh, when I was in Dubai at Christmas, and I I used to love uh, chicken katsu curry from Wagamama. So we went to Wagamama one night, and I did have the vegan katsu curry which was basically sweet potato breaded with the katsu sauce. Not quite the same, but you know, it was nice enough. But it, it nice. was, it was nice, but it wasn't the same, you know. But uh, however, there is a, a Glasgow Japanese restaurant which is now serving square sausage katsu curry. It's believed that Koshi in Glasgow's West End, I think, was uh, was the first ever restaurant to serve up haggis sushi, and now. They're doing square sausage katsu curry. So katsu curry has become quite a popular dish in, in recent years. I think everywhere. It does say in the article in Glasgow, but this is from Glasgow Live. So I guess they're going to be quite biased in terms of this. It's that as the demand for katsu grows, more and more restaurants are trying to put their own twist onto it. So, oh, sorry, it's in Shawlands, this restaurant. They've taken things a little further and are now using square sausage katsu curry. For Barnes Night, the restaurant decided to celebrate the life of Rabbi Burns, and they did a haggis katsu curry, a vegan haggis katsu curry. See, that would have been perfect for me, actually. And the square sausage katsu curry. So it was a massive success, and the the restaurant is already gaining a reputation for fusing daring Scottish-Japanese dishes. As it says, they were the first ever restaurant to bring haggis sushi to the table. So apparently they're going to... Uh, well, 
the article just effectively ends with, will you be ordering square sausage katsu curry from Glasgow? Let us know in the comments below. There's no comments in the article, so we don't know. Would you order square sausage katsu curry? I would I would give it a try, I think. I would try that. I, I like square sausage, right? I do like it. But it's not something that you could eat, that you can eat very often because it can be quite dry. So unless you've got Hunter's uh, HP sauce or you have or you've got beans on your plate or whatever, it can be or you've got loads of butter and sauce on your roll that you're you're rolling square sausage. I mean I think yeah, I'd give it a try. I mean if it's if it's katsu curry, there's gonna be plenty of sauce and things. So why not? I'll try anything. Once you would, you, well, you can't try it because you're you're half meat, as you just. Uh... I don't think I would try it anyway because, as I've mentioned before, I've never been a big fan of square sausage. It it tends to give me heartburn, mm. and I can't understand it. You know, I could eat link sausages. I could eat a whole pack of link sausages and have no ill effects whatsoever. Used to do that many an occasion. But if I had a square sausage, I'd yeah, I'd, I'd get raging heartburn. Yeah, not sure why. I mean, there is quite a lot of uh, like seasoning and stuff in the square sausage, and 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 it's and it's dry. You know what I mean? And c- mm. com- compared to like a link, it was it's really dry. I feel like we've had quite a lot, quite a lot of stories about sort of subverted Scottish food since we started the swally, haven't we? Well, we have. We've had uh, there was well, obviously there was the famous square sausage painting. There was the. <laughs> You know, in fact, the other day, it was when we recorded the last episode, I, I came out of the the room and my wife had just come back in. She'd been out for a run and she said, I'm just listening about the sausage roll. And I was like, what? She's like, the sausage roll. I was like, what are you on about? And she's like, I'm listening to your podcast. You're going on about a sausage roll. I was like, right. Well, what episode is it? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, well, what are we reviewing? I don't know. I'm just up to the sausage roll. I was like, yeah, a bit. I can't remember which one this was. <laughs> so it turned out, she was like, it's something from 2018. I was like, okay, so that must be Calibre. Okay, right. Sausage roll? And she went, yes, Greg's. And I was like, yeah, I know I do a podcast with Greg. What was this about the sausage roll? Uh, the woman with a tattoo on her arse. And I was like, oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't you lead with that? <laughs> That's what they call uh, burying the lead, I think, in media... I mean, even like even like as far back as um, maybe uh, the still game one, like the first one we did, there was a story about some kind of iron brew sauce. I can't remember what it was on, but somebody in Fife was doing like an iron brew sauce or something there. Yeah, that was that was one of the the first we did. Was it not? They were using iron brew in the batter or something, yeah. or or in the sauce, or that's true. And then we did have the the other one where we had uh, somebody was deep frying square sausage. Because we couldn't believe that it had taken so long to it had taken them so long to get round. Oh, and pickled onions as well. They were frying pickled onions. That was it. That's what I was trying to remember. Pickled onions. But yes, that's right. Deep fried square sausage and pickled onions. So, a square sausage probably is the sort of unofficial food of the swally. Uh, but it's unfortunate because I can't eat it because I don't eat meat and it gives me heartburn anyway. So, all the more for you, Greg. Hooray! Uh, so, that covers my first news story. Uh, what about yourself? What have you seen this week in Scotland? Um, well, I know like last week I had said I was going to follow your example from the episode before and try and find a, a sort of amusing slash a little unpleasant whatever story and also a nice story but I'm afraid this week I've only got like I've got like a, I've only got amusing stories I don't have any nice stories and the and the first one is pretty unpleasant so it's from the daily record on on this it's actually on the 7th of January I'm not sure how we've missed this one in previous episodes but the, the headline reads pervert picture framer convicted of flashing his genitals 
but claimed they'd fallen out of his pants. You have to inherit your insert your speech marks there. Uh, this is Alexander McLeod, funnily enough. Oh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> exposed exposed himself and asked his victim if he wanted to perform a sex act on him. So Alexander, I bet he doesn't work there anymore, but he used to work at uh, Johnston Arts and Framing on uh, November the 5th last year. Um, the, the victim, who isn't, his identity is not being disclosed because he's got special needs. He entered the store, which is on the High Street in Johnston in Renfrewshire, if you need any pictures framed, at around 10 o'clock on the day in question. And he asked if he could put a poster up in the door. McLeod said he could. And then he asked his victim to watch the shop for him. He checked to see if anyone was coming into the shop. And then he walked to the back of the store. Noticing that McLeod was hiding in an alcove. McLeod had his trousers at his ankles. And was exposing himself to the victim before he asked if he wanted to perform a sex act on him. But the victim replied, I'm not a gay mate. And left before telling his friend, who was putting posters up in other shops in the street. The court heard the pair went to the store to confront McLeod, who then claimed he had been fixing himself and his genitals had simply fallen out of his pants. I mean, this happens all the time, doesn't it? <laughs> um, McLeod then called his partner to say that men were causing problems in the shop, and his partner called the police. But it was he who ended up being arrested and going on trial on trial, rather, over the claims that Paisley shared of court. He was convicted of exposing his genitals in a sexual manner to the man with the intention that he would see them handling himself, I don't know why that's funny, and making a sexual remark to the man in breach of Section 8 of the Sexual Offences Scotland Act of 2009. Sentence was deferred for background reports to be prepared and McLeod, formerly of Kirk and Tillich, uh, in Western Bartonshire, but he now lives in Troon, he returned to the dock on Tuesday to learn his fate. Sheriff David Pender said, The victim of this offence suffered from some difficulties. From what I remember, this would have been very traumatic for him. I would have imposed a community payback order with unpaid work, but you're not able to do unpaid work, so I guess he's not. I guess he's still opening the shop every day to frame pictures. Although I can't imagine he's getting an awful lot of business. <laughs> this has been in the paper. He's been told to cough up £500 over what the judge termed a stupid offence, but he wasn't placed on the sex offenders register. So one could argue that he is lucky that he wasn't placed on the sex offenders register, but I think the fact that his the, the town that he lives in, his shop and the location of the shop and his name uh, probably have given all the information that would be on the sex offenders register anyway. So what, your, your bollocks ever fallen out when you've been handling, you, handling yourself in, <laughs> in public? Not that I can think of, no. I mean, we used to have that friend that back in the day, he would get his... his bollocks out oh, a yeah. lot the, the little john's window guy but i can honestly say no i've never no nothing's ever fallen out whilst i've been adjusting myself and i'm usually quite discreet about adjusting myself as well so what do we think's happened here because somebody's obviously not telling the truth do we think it is the the guy that who, who do you believe in this instance i think i've got to give the benefit of the doubt to the person who made the complaint to be honest because if we go back to earlier in the article, it's, he was described, like, McLeod is described as hiding in an alcove with his trousers at his ankles um, and exposed. Now, I guess if we want to be devil's advocate, he's asked this guy to look after the shop for a minute 
He's gone off to an alcove. The guy's gone looking for him. It isn't clear why. Maybe he just went off to have a wank. Maybe that's why he wanted the guy to look after the shop for him. Maybe he just, he just, maybe he had been thinking sexy thoughts all morning. Couldn't contain himself any longer. This poor guy's come in and said, and it's okay if I put a poster up, mate. And he saw an opportunity. So he said, yeah, but can you look after the shop for me for five minutes? Gone to his little wanking alcove at the back of the shop. About, about to, about to kind of bang one out. The guy's, unfortunately come round. Maybe McLeod has said, do you want to suck us off or something as a joke? And the guy is, um, I don't know, maybe he's trying to defuse the situation. Right, so ill-advised attempt to, to defuse a situation. Oh, I've been caught having a wank. I know what I'll do. I'll try and lighten the moment. and Because this guy will know that I'm only joking when I say, do you want to suck me off? Or do you want to wank me off? Whatever. And the guy's been like, huh. I'm no game mate. And then gone and told his pal, and maybe it's escalated. I have no idea. I don't think it's up to us to litigate this, because <laughs> it's clearly been litigated already by qualified people. But if we're just talking here, I'm just, you know, maybe that's what that's what's happened. That sounds fair enough. It's it's the best explanation that I can think of or come up with. I don't know. <laughs> of course, the alternative explanation is it happened exactly as is described in the paper, <laughs> and he's a dirty picture framing bastard who deserves to cough up 500 pounds and is lucky that he's not on the sex offenders register yeah very true oh well, that's a heartwarming tale thank you very much <laughs> it's no baker church i'll tell you that anyway it's not no i think another swally trope that we have to maybe get a list of these together so we have falkirk we have square sausage and this isn't really a trope, but it just reminded me of a previous story that we had done on the Swally. So I don't know if you remember a story from a few episodes ago. It was about a 70-year-old man who had over 200 convictions. Yes. Yeah, from Falkirk. Falkirk. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> this isn't from Falkirk this week. This is from Aberdeen, this story. So it's from the Aberdeen Evening Express. And the headline just reminded me of James from Falkirk because the headline reads, Aberdeen man who stole gecko from pet shop had 144 previous convictions. A serial offender who stole a gecko has been slammed by a sheriff as having one of the worst records she'd ever seen with 144 previous convictions. Alexander Sorry appeared in Aberdeen Sheriff Court and he was jailed for stealing a gecko from pets at home. His his defence, now, his defence of stealing the gecko was that he panicked after the lizard became stuck to his hand. He pled guilty to stealing a live gecko from the shop and he was jailed for 10 months along with other offences that he was charged with. So he's had 144 previous convictions and it's one of the worst records the sheriff says she's ever seen. Just like to point out, as far as the gecko's concerned, he's alive and well. So the gecko's okay. But his explanation was that he was in the pet shop and he'd opened up the gecko tank, as you do when you're walking around a pet shop, and he stuck his hand in. But when he put his hand in, the gecko jumped on him and stuck onto his hand. So he panicked. And of course, rather than get a member of staff or try and calm down or, or, or find out what we should do in this situation, he just put his hand in his pocket and ran off to another pet shop. So... <laughs> I'm presuming he's gone to another pet shop to try and sell this gecko. So the sheriff actually said, I'm assuming that he was drunk or under the influence of something. You genuinely could not make this up. This has to be a comedy routine. So, (laughs) So it must be bad for the sheriff to say that. 
So this happened at 10.45am when staff noticed him acting suspiciously in the shop. They then noticed one of the tank's lids was open and reviewed the CCTV and saw him reach into the tank and take something from it. Then he put his hand in his pocket and he was struggling to keep his hand in his pocket. So I wonder if, much like Mr. McLeod, staff might have think he was fiddling with himself if he's jiggling about with his hand, but actually he had a gecko in there. So maybe our picture framer, maybe he was just looking for his gecko or something. So police caught up with him and he claimed that he'd taken the animal to another pet shop. But when they got to the other pet shop, they couldn't find any trace of this gecko. So I don't know how they know it's alive and well now. The gecko was valued at £35. That's quite expensive for a gecko. Along with the the gecko theft, he was charged with... <laughs> some of these incidents are great, you know. Um, he was also charged with stealing a wheel from a £500 bicycle, threatening a man, stealing alcohol from Keystore Express, Grampian Road, Aberdeen, throwing shopping baskets at staff in Tesco Express on Union Street, and he was also sentenced over stealing a toy football table and reusable shopping bags from Toys R Us in Union Square. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, he's got 11 months in jail to have a little think about what he's done and maybe dream about getting a new gecko. <laughs> That's quite an impressive conviction. I, th- I think the one my favourite is throwing shopping baskets at staff in Tesco Express. <laughs> like, why? And stealing reusable shopping bags from Toys R Us. Is, is there a big... <laughs> You know, market for reusable shopping bags in the black market now. I mean, it's 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 possible because a, sh- a shopping bag is like five pence in the UK, I think now. Mm. And so, whenever I'm in the UK and I nip to the supermarket, I always forget to take like a bag for life or something with me. So they always end up buying a bag for life like every time. So maybe that's maybe it's got a wee racket going, mm. um, selling a. I don't know how much I don't know how much a toys for us shop a toys R us shopping bag would be, but uh, if they got regular plastic bags five p, you got to think it'd be at least ten or fifteen p, right? So if he's set, if he's stealing them and selling them for say five p, he's it's a hundred percent profit. He's living the high life, you know. He's a high roller if he's selling those shopping bags for that much. I just saw the headline. I guess it was about stealing the gecko that I found amusing, yeah. but. When you get into his 144 previous convictions, that's uh, quite impressive. What time of the year did it happen, does it say? No, it doesn't actually mention when it was. I imagine that you're that gecko, right? And you're used to life in your carefully temperature-controlled tank, you're nice and warm. And the next thing you know, you're ripped roughly from your little domicile and stuffed into some guy's pocket <laughs> and then exposed... <laughs> to the northeast of Scotland elements. I, 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 I'm, I'm glad that you told us that the gecko's still alive because it could have been forgiven of taking a fucking heart attack. <laughs> that's true, yeah. And I think that's the, the main concern, that the gecko is alive and well. We don't know his name. We don't know where he is now, but he was alive and well. So we're happy to report that. But you're right. It's, uh, yeah, shame for the poor gecko. You're lucky, yeah. You're lucky he didn't uh, suffer a worse fate. So, what else have you seen this week? I think this is a good one. Um, And it's... A lot of our listeners will probably be familiar with this story because, I mean, it was a Welsh fella that I'm friends with here in Dubai that that showed it to me last week. I hadn't seen it yet. (laughs) So it's obviously... It's obviously gone a bit viral. But this story is about the the pundit, uh, Bobby Bullock, B-U-L-L-O-C-H, who describes himself as an actor on Twitter. 
he's recently been commentating uh, for Hamilton Ackies. When they played Ross County a few weeks ago, he was late getting back on the microphone after the second ho- the second half started because he had been to the bathroom. But anyway, I'll read you. Basically, Bobby comes back. The second half's been on for a minute or two. And he, say, he says, oh, so sorry about the... I hadn't pressed the button. I went away for a jobby at half time. Excuse my term of language. I've not pressed the wee button when I came back. So apologies to anybody who hasn't heard me this second half. And he chuckles a wee bit. His co-commentator says, Are you speaking in rhyming vernacular there? Before adding, apologies if you deem that bad language, viewers. Bobby adds, Yes, yeah, sorry. It was just a wee bit of poop. I was a wee bit late back over because I had to squeeze quite a bit. (laughs) Sorry, I'll just change the subject and get back to the match, but I forgot to press my wee button, so I'm delighted to be back with you all. So Bobby was fired by Hamilton Ackies after that game. They were furious with him. He himself has gone on to social media to react to his dismissal. He's been on Twitter. Bizarrely, the other night he tweeted, I just need a jobby and... We all poo with the hashtag free Bobby Bullock. He's been retweeted a few times. The video and the audio of the moment is all over social media. Uh, ironically, he appeared as the bad guy uh, in the Christmas pantomime of Jack and the Beanstalk, which was supported by Hamilton Ackies at Christmas. And they streamed it online, the club streamed it online. But he's enjoying the reaction to his viral gaff. It's it's brought up, he's, he's, he's clearly a bit of an attention seeker. And it's... Um, it's brought him a wee bit of fame. The guy that he was commentating with is called Tony Haggerty. Uh, he was very apologetic. Uh, but yeah, people on Twitter were supporting him, but equally a lot of people were condemning him as well for the use of the word jobby, which we've sort of touched on this before. People are just a bit sensitive these days, don't you think? Obviously, I'd, I'd read about this story in a big... Uh... Scottish football fan and follow a lot of Scottish people on Twitter and stuff. So I had seen this story and I'd read about it in the paper and I do think it's ridiculous. It's it's jobby. It's you know, he came back and okay, I I agree. It's not so much the word for me. It is a bit unprofessional because obviously I watch the Red TV, the Aberdeen games live every week and there's a commentator geo that commentate on the games one of them said i'm sorry i'm i'm late i've just been for a jobby i would burst out laughing and i'd be thinking did he just did i hear that right you know what's he said but it's funny you don't it's not worth sacking someone over i agree if he'd come back and he said i've just had a massive shite (laughs) it was fucking stinking (laughs) don't go in the toilets if i were you then i can agree or if he'd come back and gone into great detail about how I had to curl one out. But he's just come back and said, I just had a jobby. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, um, somebody has started... <laughs> somebody started a petition through the website change.org to reinstate Bobby Bullock. It says, in capital letters, defend free speech and see Bobby Bullock reinstated as commentator at Hamilton Ackies FC, back into capital letters, join the lobby, free the jobby. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's obviously funny. This defend free speech is is taking it a bit far because it's not like Bobby was making a perhaps unpopular political opinion on the (laughs) Hamilton Ackies commentary. He did just say that he was late back because he had been for a a jobby. 
Yeah, I think in this instance it is best to just come up with some other excuse or why you're late back. Um, but he's obviously just been honest and <laughs> just been for a choppy. Will you be joining the lobby? <laughs> uh, no, I, I don't really care, to be honest. <laughs> I, I feel sorry for the guy, but I'm sure he's. I, I'm sure he's been on a few shows and things like that on the back of this. So I, I don't think. Ah, ah sod it. Yeah, I'll, I'll sign the petition. Why not? What is it? Change.org jobby. Um. Uh, yeah, uh, I'll tell you exactly. In case anybody feels... Sh- oh, I just clicked on it and it says this site cannot be reached. <laughs> so it's, it's been taken down already. Ah, okay. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess uh, as, as, as much as there are a lot of people who get very sensitive about such things, there's also a lot of really indignant people in the world now who would feel very strongly about Bobby's right to discuss his bill movements on television you'll probably get a job out of it do you, do you remember like in the in the, in the 90s when somebody would do something sort of controversial and get fired and they would get like a wee sort of 50 minutes of fame like i think the girl who the girl who david beckham was supposed to have cheated on posh with back in the 90s or or 2000s i can't remember it was rebecca something i think rebecca like, lose rebecca lose that's it so she was famous just for allegedly uh, having a an affair, a brief affair with David Beckham. Next thing you know, she's on the reality show, The Farm, wanking off a cow. I think it was, it was a, a pig. horse. Was that a pig? It's a pig. <laughs> All right. Well, that's not so bad. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yes, I can see that. I think there is a slight difference in that she did gain kind of big national fame because of this alleged affair, and also, let's face it, she was quite an attractive lady. I I don't know. If our jobby hero will get such fame, I mean, I'm just looking at his uh, Twitter profile photograph, and he does—he does look a wee bit like somebody. He looks a wee bit like the guy who plays one of the hobbits in Lord of the Rings. The one, the the, the one, the guy, the guy who he was in Heroes. No, he wasn't. He was in Lost as well, and he was in Hetty Wainthorpe Investigates. I can't remember the actor's name. Der- Derman, Derman, Dominic. Derman. Dominic Moynihan, is that him? Something, yeah, something like yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, he looks a bit like him. Okay. I don't know, maybe maybe there's a pig that needs whacked off on TV somewhere and Bobby's phone will be ringing soon. Maybe, who knows, who knows. Okay, uh, have you got anything else that you've seen this week then? Nothing that can top that. Okay, <laughs> well maybe leave it at that then. Because <laughs> I've got nothing else. We'll move on from uh, jobbies and wanking pigs. <laughs> right, well, thanks. That was a good, uh, a nice good news week uh, in Scotland yeah. this week. Uh, so, we can move on now to have a little look at a key piece of Scottish media or culture. And it was your choice this week, Greg. Slightly controversial in that, mm. is it Scottish? Is it not? I think we can agree it probably is. Why don't you... Tell us what we're going to be having a look at today. Well, my choice this week, and the reason that you know, we did have a bit of a debate on an earlier episode whether this was this fell into the sort of swally criteria, and I'm so glad that we decided that um, that it does because this is one of my favourite ever films. You know, I'm, I'm not putting it up there with the likes of Taxi Driver or one or the Godfather Two or anything like that. But personally speaking, it's one of my favourite films, and it's the 1986 fantasy action adventure film 
starring Christoph Van Der Highlander. I'm so glad we got to do it. Uh, the synopsis, Connor McLeod, played by Christoph Van Der, or Christopher Lambert, is born in the Scot... <laughs> is born in the Scottish Highlands in the 16th century. After reviving from a fatal wound, MacLeod is found by swordsman Ramirez, played by Big Tam himself, Sean Connery, who explains that they and others were born immortal and invincible unless beheaded. Immortals wage a secret war, fighting each other until the last few remaining will meet at the Gathering, to fight for the prize. In 1985, the gathering is finally happening in New York City and McLeod must make sure the prize is not won by his oldest enemy, the murderous Kurgan, played by Clancy Brown. So yeah, so you you told me that you hadn't seen this film for a really long time. I had watched it in the summer because it came on Netflix out here um, in Dubai, uh, well, in Kuwait at the time, in the Middle East. And I hadn't seen it for ages and ages and ages. And uh, so I was really looking forward to watching it. And so I have, I've watched it again for the Swally, but you hadn't watched it for years. So tell me how much you enjoyed revisiting Highlander <laughs> or not. <laughs> I, I really did, actually. Now, I can't quite work out why, but this isn't a film that ever really resonated with me. Now, I remember seeing it for the first time. It's one of those films, I could, I could tell you exactly where I was. I was at my friend Ross's house, and it must have been ten or something, nine, ten, and I think we were busy playing with, like, Lego or something, and it was on in the background, and yeah, it was alright, but I, I didn't think it was amazing, and... Then I think when I was probably about 11, 12, I had quite a big collection of VHS tapes, but it was stuff that I'd recorded off the TV. And I think I had Highlander on one of them, but it never really made it into my rotation of films that I would watch over and over again. That tended to be like Robocop, Terminator, Aliens, Child's Play. uh, Total Recall. Total Recall, yeah. Like films like that. So for some reason, Highlander wasn't, you know, and I think I ended up recording over it with something. And probably hadn't watched it since then. It it wasn't a film that I had amazingly fond memories of, if that makes sense. I just didn't really have an opinion on it. I'd seen it. So, watching it again, after many, many years for the Swally, I can't quite work out why I didn't resonate with me. Because it's, it is brilliant. It's it's very good. <laughs> you know, it's it, and I can't understand why I didn't like it. Because it is, it's 80s cheese, in a way. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I've... <laughs> Going through, I've written down at least, I think, three or four instances where I'm like, well, they've ripped that off from Terminator, or they've ripped that off from The Karate Kid, they've ripped that off from Rocky Three. There's a lot of instances of that, but it just works. And you can kind of tell that the director, he came from a background of music videos, I think, because it, it is. is quite music video-esque in a way. All I can think well, yeah. of is maybe it was the, the older, the scene set in the past, maybe that's what didn't kind of resonate with me in a way. Right. Because as yeah. you know, I'm for some reason I'm not a big fan of films set in ye olde times, but I am if it's Scotland. And I know that's, <laughs> you know, I know that's yeah, but like I can watch Braveheart and I can watch Rob Roy. If this film had been called Night of the Round Table and it was about an English knight, but it was yeah. exactly the same film, I had been like that's fucking shite. But <laughs> because it's Highlander <laughs> and it's set in Scotland. It's fucking ace. <laughs> My 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 route to this film. So my when I was when I was young, sort of I don't know. I mean, I, when when this came out, I would have been about eight. There was no way at that age I was getting to watch films like Highlander, for example. I mean, I remember catching the first 
20 minutes of Beverly Hills Cop when I was about seven. Like, my mum and my stepdad had rented it. So Eddie Murphy in the front. I guess they just missed the 18 rating that it got from the uh, the BBFC. And so we watched the first, like, 20 minutes of it when he's, like, hanging out the back of the car and there's lots of F-bombs be at the back of the truck. And uh, I was just... There was no way. And so I was in the car with my dad and he had bought the Queen album, A Kind of Magic, and he was playing it. And I and I found that I liked it. I liked the songs and stuff. And Highlander famously doesn't have like a soundtrack album, but Queen have got the credits of do, for doing a lot of the songs and music along with Michael Kamen, the composer, although they didn't work together on it. And a lot of about half the songs, if not more, on A Kind of Magic are from Highlander. And one song in particular, Give Me the Prize, on the second side has got a lot of dialogue from Highlander in it, um, ma- mainly from mainly from Clancy Brown's character, the Kurgan. And my dad told me in the car, oh, this is from a film called Highlander that he had been to see at the cinema. And he told me what the premise was in his own way, basically. There's these guys that live forever and they can only be killed if they get their heads chopped off. So from that minute, I was fucking desperate <laughs> to see Highlander. And as chance would have it, about a year later, my next door neighbour, who I was friends with for his birthday party, as we used to do, I'm sure you went to birthday parties like this when you were a kid in the 1980s. His mum did some tea for his friends, did some food, uh, some dinner, you know, burgers and stuff. And she hired a few videos from the video shop for us to watch. Mm-hmm. And they weren't as strict next door as our house. So I I put, I really pushed, uh, really pushed really hard for Highlander. So I really wanted to see it. And so that was the first time I watched it. And um, his big brother, who was a massive Queen fan, came in about halfway through. And he went, oh, it's this Highlander. I went to see this at the cinema. We walked out. It's fucking rubbish. <laughs> and so they turned it off. Oh, no. And uh, yeah, so I only saw like half of it that day. And I was gutted. But eventually I saw it all. You know, like I when I was younger, it just captured my imagination. As I've got, as I got older, I can still, I sort of saw it. I can still see it for what it was, but it doesn't make me love it any less. You know what I mean? Like as you were saying, it's very of its time. You know, the direction of the movie, you can tell that, like you mentioned before, that uh, Russell McCauley had, you know, his background is directing music videos, and he directed a lot of. Now, classic uh, music videos, he directed most of um, Duran Duran's hits, like uh, the music videos for those, like Rio, Hungry Like the Wolf. He he directed um, videos for uh, Culture Club, The Human League, uh, Elton John's I'm Still Standing video. And my my favourite one, he directed the video for Turning Japanese by The Vapors (laughs) as well. Um, Before he went into uh, features. So, you know, a lot of... um, you know, like the way that a lot of the sets are lit at certain moments. I mean, there's a scene later on when the Kurgan bursts into Brenda's flat and she's just coming in from work and like she's obviously running away from him in the flat and some rooms are lit red, some rooms are lit green as she's trying to escape from him. So it's 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 quite stylistic, but the thing that I love the most about the direction are the kind of cutaways from the present to the past when he's thinking about when he was younger and meeting Sean Connery's character for the first time. And my favourite one is when he's looking at the fish tank in his apartment and it kind of fades in and they're on the walk. And I, I don't think Russell McCauley gets enough credit for that 
shot. I think it's fucking brilliant. And I, I, I can't really think of anything that it compares to either. No, I would agree with you on that. I think it is a... I really appreciated that, those scenes. Some of the, the camera work also is incredible. For me, the one that stood out, when this film starts, I'm like, okay, let's see, you know, let's see what Highlander is all about. First thing it comes up with is the Canon Films logo. I'm like, right, I'm sold. I know I'm getting some good quality 80s shite. If it's Canon or Orion, you know, yeah. right, we're in for a wild ride here. It's going to be pretty bad, but it's also going to be quite good. Then yeah. you get a Sean Connery voiceover, which is, of course, very echoey of because he recorded it in a bathroom, <laughs> which was um, a quite famous story. Apparently, whilst practicing a Spanish accent yes. for the film, which yes. he obviously just decided to fucking abandon <laughs> because it sounds about as Spanish as I do. Then you have the, the Queen intro music and you're like okay right i'm going here and then oh nikki's fucking sold it's a wrestling match at madison square gardens with the fabulous Freebirds wrestling but what instantly got me is is the camera work in that scene it's it's like it was filmed with a drone but this is mm. fucking 30 years before drones how did they yeah. get that shot they go right round madison square gardens they go up, they zoom in on different things. The shot is incredible how they do that. Yeah. And I would love to know how that was filmed. But yeah, that's a an epic kind of opening. And I'm already like, okay, I'm in. I'm sold on this. Let's go. He must have he must have set off like a rig or something like that. You know, like a rig for the camera to to to, to travel on or something, you know, because it's too it can't be on or or maybe it can be like a, a maybe it's on like a cable. Kind of mm. pulley system or something, but yeah, it's brilliant. And you, you know, I don't. Do, do you still get wrestling matches like that now, like three on three? Yeah, you do. You do get them yeah. quite a lot. Um, there was a spate of it in WWE um, a few years ago. There was a, a faction called the Shield, and they were three. And there's uh, the New Day. They're three, and there was a Wyatt family as well. Those three of them. So they used to all kind of face off against each other. And in fact, the the blonde uh, wrestlers in the film, they are the fabulous Freebirds. Yeah, and it's yeah, Michael Hayes, Terry Gordy, Buddy Roberts. Michael Hayes still works for the WWE to this day. He's quite a big backstage producer guy. And that's where there's a term that's used in wrestling called the Freebird rule. And it's because of them. Because they were kind of the first to be like a, a three-piece. So when they won the tag titles, which obviously there's only two belts, they would use what they called the Freebird rule, which meant any two of the three could defend the belts. Right. And to this day, they still do that. So like the, the New Day, there's three members of that. And if they hold the tag team championships, they use the Freebird rule, which means you can have any two of the three defending the titles effectively or wrestling. So yeah, little wrestling geek out there. So yes, you do still get three men's <laughs> tag team matches. Um, but yeah, it's great. Uh, fantastic opening, good start. And then, of course, yeah, you get uh, Shady Connor sitting there looking very mysterious and then he buggers off down to the car park. No, Connor sitting there with his personal lighting. Yeah, <laughs> and he's the only person that's not up on their feet and enjoying the match. He's just sitting there looking pretty glum. I love some of those uh, those crowd reactions to the wrestling match at the beginning. You know, I don't know if uh, if they've just been told, you know, just enjoy the wrestling and react how you would react and we'll film it. Or if they've been told, you know, get really excited about it. Because when... They <laughs> 
when um when one of the free birds so it's a kind of takes off his robe up in the turnbuckle and sticks his tongue out and starts like shouldering out of his robe like the way that some of the women react i'm like wait a minute <laughs> you know i know he's a wrestler but he's a fat cunt <laughs> you know, get excited about it. <laughs> would this be his robe that has the confederate flag on the back of it <laughs> exactly <laughs> in, in manhattan you know um yeah, I mean that's the thing. I mean the film just, and again, I think it, I, I, I get, I think it speaks to Russell Macaulay's um, sort of pedigree as a music video director because like the whole film does move quite quickly. You know, it's, it's I mean, it's it's a fairly compact. I think it's about an hour and forty minutes or something. Um, there's you know the exposition that needs to happen is pretty quick, and uh, you go right in from the wrestling to him meeting Fazil, like a fellow immortal who's played by uh, the British stuntman, uh, Peter Diamond, who he, he, he did a lot of stunts in um, the, the original Star Wars trilogy. Most famously, he's the Tusken Raider who who, who tries to attack, um, or who does attack, rather, uh, Luke Skywalker in the first Star Wars movie. And I, I, th- I think you're supposed, to, you're supposed to get the impression that um, McLeod and Fazil are friendly and McLeod's like oh oh, wait a minute and then Fazil just like starts sword fighting with him but he's he's still got his like trench coat (laughs) over one arm (laughs) when he starts he starts fighting with him and he's still got his um he's still got his sunglasses on and I was thinking that is such a 1980s thing to have to do to keep from having sunglasses on but then I see why they've take they've made a decision to keep the shades on him to, and to begin with because it's because it gives Russ McCauley and it's just have that great shot when the sunglasses have been knocked off and you see Fazil kind of running between the cars and the reflection I'm like, all right, that's 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 why we made that choice. And then it's just excitement. There's like fighting on car bonnets. The sprinklers go off. Fazil when when um when McLeod loses his sword and he's searching for it under the cars, Fazil starts like backflipping <laughs> for like fucking no reason other than the fact that it looks cool as fuck. Yeah, that's <laughs> one of the there's two things in this scene that I'm like, really, the backflips. Is there any need? Is that not going to slow you down a bit? Are you not faster just running rather than doing backflips? The second thing I had was, okay, so we've just seen Connor sitting watching the wrestling in Madison Square Gardens and he's kind of slouched down in his chair and then he goes down to the car park and then he pulls out this massive fucking sword out of his duster. <laughs> Where's that been when he's been slouched in the seat? It must have been poking somewhere. Or very strange. I don't know how he managed to conceal that. Anyway, obviously we we can, uh, yeah, it's it's magic, so we can sort of gloss over that. But yeah, the backflips did make me laugh quite a bit. Like, really, is that gonna? Is that what's the point of that? Apart from the fact that yeah, it does look quite cool, I suppose. You no, know, for for years and years, like before the sort of the advent of IMDb and the internet and everything, I always thought that ca- the character of Fazil, I thought that was a cameo by a uh, Queen drummer. Roger Taylor. <laughs> oh, you know what? Yeah, now you mention it. I I thought you were going to say Rudger Hauer uh, for a second there, but yeah, Roger Taylor would be. Yeah, I could see that. There's a there's a there's a bit of, there's a, a little resemblance. Yeah, um, you know, not. I guess it's you know, it's when I was a lot younger. We need to talk about uh, Christopher Lambert, Christoph Lambert, for a minute. So he was pretty hot property at this time in the mid eighties. He had just done. The Tarzan, the uh, Tarzan film. Apparently, and I don't know if this—I mean, this could be a bit loose internet 
um, sort of research, it might be true, it might not be, but apparently he had to learn to speak English for Highlander. So he, like, Tarzan didn't require him to speak any English. Now, I always thought that that Tarzan film was a flop and had been slammed, but apparently it was, it, it, it was either nominated for or won three Oscars. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen it a couple of times. I haven't seen it I haven't seen it for fucking years. I mean, well over twenty years. I know Andy McDowell's in it. She plays Jane and has her has an English has her English accent dubbed because she was so bad by another actress. I remember seeing it maybe when I was a teenager and thinking this isn't very good. But I might have to go back and watch it again. But yeah, so Christophe Lambert, he was born in New York, but he grew up in France. He had done some French films in the late nineteen seventies, early eighties. Uh, Le Bas du Telephone uh, being one of them before he got the job. Is Tarzan. Apparently, when Russell McCauley saw him, the picture of him as Tarzan, he was like, "Who the fuck's that?" I mean, that's a that's what I want in my film. So yeah, he 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 did like he would do like four hours of um, like dialect and voice coaching in the morning to help him realise that amazing Scottish accent like he does. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I think we've got to give him a bit of a break because if that's true and he's he's learned English. Or he's learned to speak English, um, sort of capably for the movie. Plus, have to do like try and do a Scottish accent. I, th- I, th- I, th- I think we can make him off. There um, are a couple of points where it does sound Scottish-ish, but not yeah. really. But I think they do quite a good way of of explaining it almost yeah. when when he kind of gets arrested, so to speak, and the cop does say to him you talk funny where are you from and you response you know lots of places you have to remember he's because he's been living for what 300 400 years yeah. so he's probably picked up a, a bit of an accent from somewhere else i am Connor mcleod of the clan mcleod i was born in 1518 in the village of glenfinnan on the shores of loch shiel and i am immortal yeah you're right it it, it makes more sense in the kind of present day um scenes yeah. than it does when he's thinking <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it does when he's when he's thinking back to to like his early life in Scotland. He also has a condition called myopia, which makes him very nearsighted. And apparently that was one of the reasons he got that's one of the reasons he got cast in Tarzan. Because he looks quite good when he's staring into the distance. But he his his condition sort of forces kind of forces him to stare into the distance because obviously Tarzan doesn't wear glasses and when he was doing the um, when he's doing the sword fighting scenes which he trained for he trained with a guy I forget the guy's name but he was um, he was also a stunt man he was a stunt double for oh I've got him here his name is Bob Anderson and he had been a Darth Vader stunt double in the original Star Wars franchise. So he would, he would do like he'd do his four hours of dialect coaching, and he would do two hours of um, sword fighting uh, practice. Um, so you know, I mean, considering that this is a film that you know, I mean, it, I can't imagine that. Uh, well, first of all, you mentioned already it was a canon film, so they are they were sort of notorious for kind of for every kind of decent film they put out, there was like a Superman four. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, so I guess the expectations weren't that high, but you know he's he's fucking thrown himself into it, and and, and I, I I actually think uh, you know I was watching him um, when I watched the movie again for the podcast, and when I watched it in the summer, he's he, he's he's got there's, there's, there's a, bit, a bit of a magnetism to him, you know he's got he's he's quite charming as the in the character when I mean, he does those little laughs 
Like I, when I think back towards the fight toward the end of the film, like the last fight with the Kurgan, and um, Brenda kind of helps him out by hitting the guy, hitting the Kurgan over the back with a pole, and then he jumps in with his sword. He, and he, he does that. He does that funny wee laugh, and then says, "What?" He sort of smells at her and says, uh, "What kept you?" or something yeah. like that. And he's got a few wee moments like that where he's. Um, you kind of feel like for for the all the fact that he's supposed to be playing this kind of tortured immortal. A man who obviously you know he's he's had his heart broken when his first wife is he's outlived his first wife back in the old days and everything. He is still having a bit of fun with the with the character. I I th- I think he's I think he's actually he's really good in it, and I think his performance has aged quite well. Personally speaking, better than some of the other performances in the movie. What do you think? Yeah, he does. It, it's I I did like his performance, and I did feel an affection towards Connor. I don't know. You're saying some of the other performances in the film i i thought it was all pretty good there wasn't really anything that i would have said was a a bad performance as such i don't think there's any bad performances but there's some there are some performances which haven't aged as well like a lot of the kind of police characters yeah like the inspector yeah. they egg, 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 the uniformed policeman who um arrests them outside madison square garden a garfield you know d- don't move pal don't even breathe, you know, all these sort of like real yeah. kind of 80s stereotypical kind of police characters. And, you know, Roxanne Hart, who plays Brenda, I mean, she's not really, I think this is like her sort of highest profile film role. I mean, they, 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 the sort of wisest choice she made was not coming back for the sequel because it's fucking <laughs> terrible. Um, but she was she was she was in Chicago Hope, uh, sort of quite a popular American hospital drama for a few years. But you know her her performance is the kind of the forensic scientist who just happens also to be an expert on antique swords <laughs> and metallurgy. You know, it's that all that's just a wee bit kind of contrived. You know. Yeah, I I'd agree with you on that, and I think it is a part of me was a bit like really when she's going to the car park with a metal detector to try and find these fragments of sword but yet she doesn't pick up on the actual sword which connor has very secretly hidden in the roof of the car park that's a great hiding place no one will no one will ever suspect or no one will look there but yeah she didn't find it so and he got it back eventually anyway yeah so I, yeah i could see that in terms of her character maybe not quite as as rounded but yeah i, I thought she was she was quite good you know she had very attractive woman as well you know which which always helps in terms of an 80s film but uh yeah maybe not the most well-rounded character do you think she's more attractive than bonnie heather uh yeah oh uh, yeah heather also uh a very nice, nice lady, but yeah, I would, I'd pick Brenda over Heather. I was reading a bit about Bonnie Heather today. Um, she's played by B.T. Edney, um, who is the daughter of famous British actress Sylvia Sims, um, and she's actually a quite a prolific British uh, TV actress. She's she's been in all sorts. Most recently in Poldark, where she lashed out at the Poldark producers because they only invited the kind of young members of the cast to the premiere of like the last season and um i'm just going to keep calling her bonnie heather but she's uh she's she's now 56 but anyway but you know i i always i always preferred i always preferred her to brenda when i was younger i always thought she was nicer i'm quite sexy about her so oh. her scottish accent is her scottish accent's not it's not great it's maybe better than big tam's spanish accent <laughs> well to speak about big tam he comes swanning in dressed like a 1970s pimp 
in his big peacock garb. Greetings. I am Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramirez, chief metallurgist to King Charles V of Spain, and I'm at your service. Which is fantastic. And it's funny, you think Highlander, obviously you first of all think Christophe Lambert, then you think Sean Connery. He's only in it for 10 minutes. But you do associate Highlander with him a lot. And I think he shot all of his scenes in a week. And he had a bet with the director that he could get it all done in a week. And I think it kind of shows, because it does <laughs> go along at quite well, a pace. But well, he actually, he, he was only hired for three days' work. Uh, and he was offered half, half a million dollars for three days' work. But he had a clause in his contract where he would earn an extra half a million dollars for any days beyond the three days that he'd agreed to do. So a cam- one of the cameras broke down, which ended up with a two-day delay. And he ended up getting a million dollar bonus. <laughs> <laughs> Canny Scotsman, big Tam. Um, he is great at it. I, I do like the. He's just. I know it's a trope and sort of saying that he's just playing Sean Connery, but yes, it's the accent and also it's the the kind of. He's got a couple of really funny kind of quips or lines that you would almost associate with like James Bond or yeah. You know, it's it's just yeah. a, a Sean Connery performance. And I, I don't know why. Why would you cast him as an Egyptian Spaniard <laughs> when it's Sean Connery, possibly the most famous Scotsman in the world at the time? Why don't you just say he's from Scotland and then he can keep his accent? You can still dress him like a pimp. You can say he's he's lived in Egypt. He's lived in Spain. You know, he's immortal. So he's been around a bit. Um, you know, obviously he spent time in Japan because he mentions <laughs> his, you know, old Japanese wife and he has the Japanese sword. But why don't you just make him Scottish? It's just I mean, bizarre. I'm not sure. I'm not sure why. But do you think that without Sean Connery in the role, uh, in that role, the movie loses a bit of credibility? Yeah, I think so. I, I think it yeah. would, especially at that time. You know, 1986, it's a canon film. Okay, as you say, Christoph Lambert, kind of off the back of Tarzan, maybe had a bit of box office. I think uh-huh. the Queen soundtrack as well, but I think you need that Sean Connery name in there. Sean Connery is a name that you do associate very much so in terms of Highlander. So yeah, I think it needed the gravitas of having him in there. I mean, the, the, the scenes with him and... Uh... And Christoph Lambert are probably the best scenes in the in the whole movie when he's doing his training. Like the scene on the boat we mentioned before when <laughs> Sean Connery asks, when he, I think McLeod calls Ramirez a haggis, and um, big Ramirez is what's a haggis? And Christ- <laughs> McLeod they describes the haggis to him, and he's like, "What do you do with it?" He's like, "You eat it." He's like, "Oh, how revolting!" You know, it's <laughs> kind of back and forth between them. You look like a woman, you stupid haggis. Haggis? What is haggis? Sheep stomach stuffed with meat and barley. And what do you do with it? <laughs> you eat it! How revolting! Then even the more sort of sincere moments, you know, particularly when Ramirez is telling McLeod why he should, he should leave Heather. 
because he can't give her children and you know she will obviously die before him and it's heartbreaking he's been through it blah 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 um you know they 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 I think with, without those scenes um without big tam in that role it would be a completely forgettable well potentially a completely forgettable movie yeah they are very nice I I agree with you it's very heartfelt the speech that he gives about the the three wives that he's had and how he's you know never really gotten over them yes you definitely need that now the issue I have with some of the scenes are as I mentioned before there's quite a few things that I'm like well you've just stolen that from so and so so okay you have the blue lightning and stuff in the car park, etc. Obviously, they've stolen that from Terminator. That's fine. Terminator doesn't own Blue Lightning, but they they did kind of set the trend there. So then you have this little sort of scenes with with Sean and and Connor, of course. Uh, so you have the boat training, which he you know he falls in. Ha, 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 ha. So the, the director had obviously watched the Karate Kid when he was kind of preparing that because it's a, it's the exact same as Daniel yeah, and yeah. Mr. Miyagi. Of course, yeah. Then, of course, you get the training montage and they're racing each other on the beach, just like Apollo and Rocky in Rocky Three, so which came out in 1982. So the directors obviously <laughs> watched The Karate Kid <laughs> and watched Rocky Three. thought, yeah, I'm having some of that. This is going to be in Highlander. I, I kind of, you know, joking in terms of that, but it does strike me as, as they have just lived, you know, when I'm watching it, I'm just like, well, you know, they've stolen that from there. They've stolen that from there. So I'm sure it wasn't intentional. Well, I'm sure it probably was. Yeah, probably but... <laughs> was, actually, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, you've you got to talk about uh, Clancy Brown because, I mean, and I feel a wee bit sorry for Clancy Brown in this uh, in this part because he, it, I mean, it's a pretty good part, but equally, it's a bit of a, again, a bit of an 80s sort of stereotype role and he's a he's a much better actor than that, and I think that's the only thing that doesn't make the part of the Kurgan just ridiculous. You know, it's because he's he's such a fucking great actor. Um, I mean, it is it is quite a ridiculous part anyway, but the his portrayal of it kind of brings it it, it it sort of takes it somewhere that you can where it fits with the movie. But apparently, the the screenwriter, the, so the the script was written by a guy called Gregory Wyden. He actually wrote it when he was still at uh, UCLA at college, and uh, he got paid two hundred thousand dollars for it. But it was going to be quite different, so he was going to have uh, Connor as a much more serious and kind of grim character because of all these years of violence and loss. He was going to have had thirty-seven children. And have like sons that were in their mid fifties and all that kind of stuff, and they would see him revealed as an immortal. I don't know what was supposed to have happened to like his family from his other his other uh, wives and stuff, but for the role of the Kurgan, the screenwriter wanted to make it a much more complex character, like a much more tortured character. So what he says is, um, he said the, the the Kurgan was the thing that was the most different about my screenplay. He was much more tortured. The Kurgan in Highlander is pretty much like a sort of Freddy Krueger type character. He's like a kind of cackling psychopath. Mm. He says he says I envisioned him as a guy who loses everything over time. The only thing he could hold on to to give him a reason to get up in the morning was to finish this thing and finish it with our guy, who is McLeod. It was more about that. It was just a reason to get up in the morning. Otherwise, what's the point? Everything is imper- is impermanent. Everything is lost. That made him much more serious in a weird way, a sort of sympathetic bad guy. He said that um, Clancy Brown had similar thoughts about the Kurgan and he wanted to make him a lot more complex and interesting by dressing him in a sort of suit and disguising the fact that he's such a villain rather than have him wear these big outlandish uh, kind of biker 
jackets with one sleeve missing and the safety pins and his neck scar and all that kind of thing. So, I mean, I, I would quite like to see that version of the film, I think. Well, obviously, it's never been made, but it would be quite an interesting way to take it. I mean, I know that they, 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 they spun Highlander off into like a TV show that I, I never, ever watched. Um, but I think there's probably a bit more of, of that type of villain in the TV show. Um, than just the sort of savage um, kind of warrior that uh, that Clancy Brown ends up playing. I did. I, I mean, I like the Clancy Brown's character. He is fantastic, and I wondered because they they do mention that the Kurgan descended from Russians. So is that a kind of Cold War dig? You know, at that time the Russians were very much the enemy mm-hmm. in in kind of everything. So was that maybe a, a little dig there? At the um, yeah, at the Russians, but yeah, he is he's great, and I really like. I'll be honest, he's he's probably my favorite character in the film in terms of the the character development. Starts off as almost like a kind of Terminator esque vibe of this quiet killer. I mean, he's he's not very good with a broadsword. I can can say that he's he's pretty bad with it in terms of his fighting ability. But it's the when the character kind of comes to life, of course. The, <laughs> It's it's almost it's kind of a change in the film, and he becomes more of a comedic character towards the end. And it starts obviously, I think, in the hotel when the the guy in the hotel says that I heard you were you were kinky with candy, and he has kind of like a little smirk. And then it's it's the scene in the church, and I don't know. I presume it is meant to be quite comedic, but it's hilarious. The interaction between him and Connor in that church when he says, oh, you've had a haircut. He's like, yeah, thanks. <laughs> I'm in disguise. <laughs> and when he's interacting with the nuns and wishing them a happy Halloween, and that's the character just comes to life for me there. And I think it's hilarious. Um, and I do love the, even the opening part, really, when you meet the Kurgan in the 80s and he's just cruising around listening to Queen. <laughs> You're like, okay, right. Okay, you're this kind of immortal killer, and you're just cruising round listening to Queen. Great. Did, did you have him down as more of maybe like a kind of Judas Priest yeah. fan or Megadeth? Or well, something that was like my that. thought. Of I think he would be listening to harder stuff than Queen. You know, I would have thought at the time it would have been like Iron Maiden or, um, as you say, probably Megadeth. Yeah, I think. To be fair, some of the the Queen songs on the soundtrack are very hard. Queen, I think it's, yeah, it's yeah. quite heavy for uh, for some Queen tracks. When very good, but yeah, I just thought it's hmm, would he be driving around listening to Queen? Maybe, don't know. I mean, Connor drives around listening to Queen as well. So obviously, just a big, very popular band in New York at the time. Well, that was quite a popular album. <laughs> yeah, my, even my dad bought it. He normally he would just wait for somebody to burn him a copy, or he would rent the tape from the library. And make his own copy. Remember, you could do that. You could rent like CDs and stuff in the library and just make copies. That's what my dad used to do. That, um, but uh, I mean that that album. I mean that was. I mean I I I I was quite a big Queen fan at one point in my life when I was a lot younger. Um, these days these days I'm more of a casual uh, sort of Queen fan. Um, but that album was like my introduction to them, really. And it's 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 quite a it's quite a weird album because the the the, the first song One Vision is off another movie. It's off Iron Eagle. Remember, right, the sort of Top Gun um, type movie. And then all but maybe one or two songs on the album are on um, 
are on the Highlander soundtrack. So you've got you got one year of love, uh, which is playing when um, Brenda and Connor meet in the bar. Obviously, you got Who Wants to Live Forever, which is like the which is like a massive Queen hit in its own right, particularly because of the way it's been attached to the sort of premature death of Freddie Mercury in some ways. You've got A Kind of Magic, obviously, which is a massive song in its own right, and then um, you got uh, There's Princes of the Universe, Give Me the Prize, Don't Lose Your Head, and then the, the only other song that I can remember off the album, which isn't on Highland, there was Friends Will Be Friends, which is a fucking really shit, limp-wristed fucking song. Um, even for Queen, who, quite a sentimental band, depending on whose song it was, do you know what I mean? But, um, so, but, uh, but yeah, I remember, I remember, like, at one point in my life, I would, I knew every word to every song on that A Kind of Magic album. <clears throat> and I used to chuckle every time Freddie Mercury said at the end of um, One Vision, instead of saying, give me one vision, he says, give me fried chicken. So it was it was funny in the mid eighties. It's maybe lost a bit of its appeal now. <laughs> but um, but no, I think I think I think we should talk about some of the other uh, cast members. There's Celia Emery, um, Victoria Woods. You know, she well she's done a lot of stuff as as uh, as an actress, but she's probably most famous for being a popular collaborator with Victoria Woods. There's uh, obviously um, Swally. Is this is this the first time we've had James Cosmo? It is. Swally? Yeah, I think it, might it be, is right? the first time. Yes. So even though we've got an award named after him, this is his um, swally debut as uh, Angus McLeod, Connor's uh, cousin. And then Billy Hartman, who plays Dougal, or Dougal, as um, Connor calls him, who, the only other thing he's been in, he was in Emmerdale Farm for yeah. years, as uh, Terry. I never realised he was a... Scottish. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Doing a crack in Yorkshire accent. I used to watch Emmerdale when Terry was in it, and I've I, I genuinely never realised that he was Scottish. I'm amazed at that. And then you got another uh, prolific British actor, uh, Hugh Quashie, who plays uh, Castagir, the the sort of African immortal that Connor meets in Central Park, who he's friends with. He ends up he ends up being dispatched by the Kurgan in an alley in in uh, in, in New York. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Hugh Quashie's been. I mean, he's fucking. He's his uh, IMDb is as long as my arm. The amount of, the amount of credits that he's that, that he's got on there. And then you mentioned Candy earlier. The sort of very brief appearance. Uh, the, the 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 prostitute that the Kurgan hires when he's. Uh, and and that's what's really weird. She walks into the room while he's like swinging his sword about, and she's just like. Hiya, <laughs> I'm Candy. Um, she, 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 she's played by an actress called Kareen Russell, who is actually a British former Page Three model. As far as I know, as far as, far as I can tell, this is her only uh, acting credit. I have to to bring up the the scene, of course, where Kurgan is using his his broadsword in the hotel room. Now, it's quite impressive the way it's packed. That he's it's effectively like a sniper rifle. That he's packed it all in this foam case and he assembles it. And, and very carefully puts it all together. Now, maybe it's just a reaction, but if you've been doing that for hundreds of years, when you've assembled your sword, which you probably use quite a lot, and he kind of pushes the button and the, the spikes come out at the side, and he flinches. You wouldn't flinch. You'd know it's coming. So you wouldn't <laughs> flinch. That was one bit. I was like, oh, oh, Clancy, you obviously couldn't help having a little flinch there, but Kurrigan wouldn't flinch at that. And some of the exercises that he's doing as well are quite strange. They, the one that springs to mind is when he's got the sword sort of upside down, so the kind of point of the sword is into the floor, and he's kind of like whacking the handle back and forth between his forearms. 
I like, I mean, we'll ask about you. (laughs) (laughs) So there was a couple of things that I wanted to ask you about Highlander. And again, this is maybe a bit of a, a bit of a, one of these sort of 80s tropes, but a guy has just been found in the car park of Madison Square Garden. Who's be, he's been decapitated. Now, I imagine that it takes some force to whip someone's head off their right, cleanly off their shoulders. Quite a lot of levity amongst the attending policemen, you know? Uh, one joke particularly being, so what do you think the cause of death was, Lieutenant? Ho, ho, ho. People are turning up with snacks. You know what I mean? And the other one is the technology that seems to be available to the NYPD in the mid-80s. Particularly the sort of signature analyzer thing when when Brenda works out that um, Russell Nash, who's Connor McLeod's 1985 alias, has been around for all these years because they've got all these signatures and this computer is able to take a wee bit of each signature and say, yeah, this is the same, this is the same guy. Yeah, it's, it's lucky that all his aliases have the same letters that can make up his name. Uh, yeah, I was really impressed with that technology. And I'm like, wow, did this exist at the time? Don't know. I don't know if that exists now, <laughs> to be honest. Oh, well, no, sure. it must exist now in terms of if you have like handwriting recognition and stuff. And I'm pretty sure something like that would exist nowadays. But yeah, it was quite impressive. But then it's a fantasy film at the end of the day, mate. I mean, at Robocop. That's not realistic technology for the time, is it? No, so, but it, 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 it was set in the future at the time, so they could okay. get away with it. Okay, set yeah. in the present day 1985. I mean, mm. you know, so Conor McLeod has been around all these years. He's never been fing- he's never been, never been fingerprinted once. In yeah, all that that's time. true. Yeah, that's mm. a very valid point, actually. So yeah, he's never been arrested. I mean, obviously he does in the opening of the film. So yeah, it's a good, it's a good point. He's never actually been in trouble in all the years that he's been alive, despite having like duels in Boston Common. Mm. <laughs> that's that's a good scene. I like that scene. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it was good. It was a, a um, nice little kind of humorous break, yeah. almost of uh, into the film. And I guess it was just to show that. A different time that Connor had lived in as well. So, like, listen, my other thing I was going to ask you, right? So, you're invited over. So, you're an immortal, right? You're invited over for dinner at a, at a nice lady's house. Um, you bring her a bottle of 200 year old brandy, right? And you pour her a measure, and you're like, this brandy was bottled in like 17 whatever. And her only reaction is, oh, that's old. That bottle of brandy is worth thousands of dollars. <laughs> He's brought it on the first date, and all she can say is, "Oh, that's old." I'd be, fu- I'd be pouring hard measure back into the bottle and telling her to get to fuck. <laughs> that was a reaction. You have to remember as well. This is the first date, as you say. Now, she invites Connor round. He comes round. All he, she knows up to this point really is that he was arrested in this car park where a beheaded corpse was found. He's the only suspect really and that's all she really knows about him but she'll invite him into her apartment and she'll leave him to have a snoop around while she goes and changes her earrings and he's she goes if it's on these shards of glass yeah. on her ears and he's having a good snoop around and so he finds the the tape recorder hidden inside the piano and uh, sees the the cop waiting outside so you know he's got time to have a good look around there but she's very okay with just Leaving him to do whatever he wants in the house. The other thing I was going to ask you, so Heather, when she dies, 
bear in mind that this is the 1700s. How, how old do you think she was? Like 40, 45, something like that? That's a good point, because I thought she was meant to look about... Yeah, 60-ish. probably about 60... Yeah, mid to late 60s, but that's a very good point. Life expectancy back then was probably about 40-odd. Yeah, yeah. So, and yeah, I never thought about that. Very good point. Don't know. The other thing... The other thing that I took a bit of issue with in that scene is she asks she asks Connor as she's slipping away where they are. Where are we, Connor? Now he's fucking he's vague as fuck. He's like, We're in the Highlands. <laughs> we're in the Highlands. Where 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 in the Highlands? Why not just like why not just like set it some even if you make it up, like obviously uh, Glen Finnan, where he's supposed to come from, is a made up place. But he, he does mention that he's that it's near the shores of Loch Shiel. Which is a real place, and they use um, the castle of Elendonan and the bridge. You know, so when the MacLeods are going off to battle, that's the bridge at Elendonan. So they have taken, um, although it's not, they don't refer to it as that right enough. But they have, so they've, they've take, they have like put a bit of ex, a bit of kind of geographical exposition in there. And then as his wife's dying, it's just like, yeah, we're in the Highlands. Like the Highlands is not this massive part of Scotland with lots of different little villages and towns. Well, maybe not towns, but. Certainly locales in it. Just lazy writing. Yeah, that's true. Maybe they didn't want to go into too much detail of getting somewhere else in Scotland. Maybe Jimmy Savile had um, had, had built his house up there by that point and they were like, fuck it, just say the Highlands. In, ca- in, ca- in case Jimmy turns up to give us like s- some advice like he did, at com- like he did in Complicity. You know? <laughs> um, and then my last point is about the Kurgan. Yeah. He's always fallen off things. <laughs> In the film, he's fucking falling off things all the time. He falls off of, uh, he, he falls off of um, sort of Connor's little kind of tower house inside twice. Yeah. Once when Ramirez knocks him down, and then second time after he's been he's been electrocuted. He falls off the silver cup sign. He falls mm-hmm. through the ceiling. <laughs> fucking yep. clumsy. That was my other. That's blatantly ripped off from uh, moment. Is the the final fight between the Connor and Kurgan, and it's it's when the window backdrop is behind them, and and they're fighting. It's, uh, it's just fucking Return of the Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> You've stolen that from there. Uh, interesting. Did you know about the the swords and how they got the the sparks when they're fighting? That the the sparks come off the swords. I imagine they put like something on them, like some kind of resin or something, or magnesium or something like that. <laughs> they, um, uh, no, they, they went down a different route there. Uh, one of them, they both had car batteries uh, wired <laughs> to the swords. One had a positive and one had a negative, like wired up. And as they were fighting, obviously when the, the positive and negative charges hit, sparks fly. <laughs> so... Right. But they could. They had to limit the takes to like two or three minutes at a time because the swords were getting so hot <laughs> with the car batteries. <laughs> so they, they had uh, each of the actors had like a wire running up their sleeve and connected to a, a car battery. So that's how they achieved the sparks <laughs> in those scenes. They weren't put in with post production or anything. They actually had car batteries. <laughs> go with that um, um and my very very last point i think before we go on to the categories is so the prize that they're fighting for worth fighting for so basically if you concentrate really hard you know what everybody in the world is thinking um you what's the other one 
finally you you get your mortality so maybe that's worth it because you know if you've lived for a long time you haven't been able to have kids i know you can it's i think i think it said that you could have children now in the 80s with brenda if he wants um although according to highlander 2 that never happened um but no i mean a bit of a shit prize and, and what's the kurgan going to do with the prize just know what we're all thinking does ramirez not say that if the kurgan was to get it it would be a, a very different sort of place, the world. It would, you know, it would be dangerous. So I, I don't know. Is that the effectively you can do kind of whatever you want? So well, you saw it's a bit sort of godlike, isn't it? If you know what everyone's yeah. thinking, if you but you got to concentrate and you can hear people's thoughts and. But I presumed kind of that Connor has chosen to become mortal so that he can have kids with Brenda, but the Kurgan probably wouldn't have. I don't know. It's all about ambiguous, isn't it? It is. And I don't know... I don't think I'm going to bother with the sequels because I've heard that they are pretty terrible. But, of course, two is a direct continuation from one and three is a direct continuation from one because it effectively wipes out the second film because they've said shite. Well, it is shite. And in, in the second film, it completely subverts the kind of mythology of the first film by saying that all the immortals are actually aliens from the planet Zeist. Yeah. And all this kind of stuff and just that i mean it was a really and it's the same director so you would have thought you would i would have thought that he'd been a bit more emotionally attached to the storyline of the first one and done something a bit more continual you know i say i read the the synopsis of of two and three immediately two i was like that sounds fucking shit uh three i was like "Mm, that sounds quite interesting maybe that might be worth a watch i don't know probably won't bother but i think i think does three not set up the TV show, or is three the one with Mario Van Peebles in it? Yeah, three's the one with Mario Van Peebles. Yeah, uh, there is a never seen it. fourth one, I think, which is it has the guy from the TV show who is yeah. is he Duncan McLeod? Yes, because uh, yeah. it's Connor's Adrian. cousin or something, and they're uh, so they're both in. It's the actor Adrian Paul. Yeah, I, I never really watched the TV show, but I I think it was like a kind of like monster of the week type show where you know the Highlander would sort of visit a town and battle some sort of demon, you know, a bit like Buffy the Vampire Slayer type thing or that type of thing. So never really got round to to seeing that, unfortunately. I I saw two at the cinema and I was excited to see it so it came out when i was 12 and by this point i was i'd I'd seen highlander a few times and so my dad as i mentioned was a big fan of the first film too so he said i was going to glasgow for the weekend and he said we'll go and see highlander too and i said yeah but dad it's a 15 and he said you'll be all right you're quite tall so um i did get in to see it first 15 i ever get into could not wait to see it and it is even as 12 years old i thought this is heartbreaking (laughs) <laughs> it's heartbreaking I mean there's a ridiculous scene in it where so McLeod has aged right because he's he's mortal now and two immortals are sent from the planet they come from to kill him and just before that happens this woman approaches him because uh, she is like an environmentalist he has been involved in this project that has built this big barrier around the world to replace the ozone layer which is now like environmentally unfriendly and stuff so she's approached him for his help no sooner has she approached him and spoken to him for a few minutes that he's attacked he manages to kill one of the guys so he absorbs his power becomes young again kills the other guy she appears back again and he rattles her right there next to a bin (laughs) it's just like wait a minute (laughs) you know 
I think it is something that is ripe for a, a reboot or a remake. And I think they have been trying, but it's just not getting off the ground. And it's the, the guy that directed John Wick, I think, that's that's on board. And I did read that one of my favourites, Dave Batista, had kind of signed on to play the Kurgan, but oh, really? that was from a couple of years ago. So I don't know if he right. would still be attached to it now, but Maybe. I think, yeah, it, it's ripe for a bring it up to date, having a little reboot or remake. Yeah, they, they could do. I mean, you've had sort of kind of Game of Thrones, which is, I guess, it's got a few things in common. Um, kind of fantasy. There's Outlander as well. Um, they kind of got a couple of things in common with Highlander. So I suppose, you know, it's uh, there's maybe some mileage in a remake going a bit now. One thing that I thought was quite amusing. Did you know that Christophe Lambert and Clancy Brown played the same character in different iterations just a year apart from each other. I did not know that. No. What was the character? No. Raiden from Mortal Kombat. Ah. Christophe Lambert played him in the the, the 1995 movie. film. And yeah. in 1996, there was a kind of like a manga cartoon of Mortal Kombat and Clancy Brown played Raiden in it. Mm. I, I actually, I, I, I did read that today, but I didn't make the connection. Because Clancy Brown has got hundreds of, I mean, he's got quite a distinctive voice and he's got hundreds of voice, of like kind of voice parts and cartoons. He's done loads of um, DC stuff, like Lex Luthor. He's done Marvel stuff. But I think probably his most famous and most enduring uh, voice is as Mr. Krabs in SpongeBob SquarePants. (laughs) (laughs) He's been doing that for years. And I had never ever watched SpongeBob SquarePants because I was always when that came out I was too old for cartoons. But my children, when they were younger, liked it, and I I watched a few episodes. And it is often incredibly funny, SpongeBob SquarePants. Often, I mean, it's not like it's not like in the vein of like Family Guy or Archer or anything like that. It is done for kids, um, but it's just it, it's it's often very very funny. You don't you don't have to watch it. I'm just telling you. Yeah, I probably won't bother. <laughs> Hmm. So shall we put um shall we put Highlander through the categories? Oh yes, let's do that then. Okay. So archetypal Scottish moment. What did you have? Where do you start? It's dripping in it. I I think it has to be the haggis mentions and the talking about haggis a lot and him calling Ramirez a haggis. That's that's what I had for that. What about yourself? I had uh, Dougal headbutting Connor three times when <laughs> he's. <laughs> When they're when they're lynching him, yeah, just something. Just there's something very Scottish about headbutting somebody who can't fight back. <laughs> uh, that's fair enough, yeah. Um, or is it about Angus admitting that he pees his kilt? <laughs> he pees his kilt all the time. Yeah, <laughs> that was uh, another kind of. Like, it was okay. a good one, spell. Yeah. So, so the Sean Connery Who Won the Movie Award, also known as the Who Got to Go Home and Fuck the Prom Queen Award. Now, I debated this because I think Tam is the obvious answer, really, in terms of he's only in it for 10 minutes and he kind of steals a lot of the, the film. It's what people remember. But I'm tempted to give it to Clancy Brown. <laughs> That's <laughs> Kurgan. He was. He really. I really liked him. I thought he was great. So I'm. I'm always tempted to give it to him. But yeah, I think it. It has to go to Sean Connery as Ramirez. I, mean, I don't know. I'm going to get. I'm going to be controversial and give it to and give it to Christophe Lambert. because I, oh. I, I. I mean, just rewatching it again the other day, I thought I really like his performance. You know, I, I mentioned all the reasons why 
earlier, but I, I think I would give him the, the that award. I mean, the, the, this was well, there's there's sort of two roles that kind of sort of set Sean Connery up a little bit um, in the 80s as playing the kind of mentor to a younger cast. I think there's the name of the rules, uh, the one with with uh, Christian Slater when he plays the monk. And there's this one, which sort of leads him to perhaps the most famous example of that type of character uh, in The Untouchables. Yeah. As the mentor True. to Kevin Costner. Um, but, you know, like to your point, although it's... He's always a. He's not in the film for very long. He is a massive part of the film, so mm. I would probably. So I think Sean and would be my runner-up. Um, and he's got the first line of the film because he does the voiceover at the beginning. Then does he have the last line because he's got the voiceover at the end? Yeah, yeah. I think you 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 kind of have to assume that uh, he's sort of in McLeod's head at the end, telling him that men's dreams and hopes are his to know and all this and so yeah you know he's, he's although he's although he doesn't have as much screen time as the rest of the kind of principal cast he certainly his presence is felt from start to finish mm, true um <laughs> so the, the 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 james cosmo award for being and everything scottish i think goes to james cosmo uh, right? yes <laughs> a worthy winner <laughs> definitely uh, I mean, yes, because it is everything Scottish. Had it been for just being in everything, I'd probably give it to Clancy Brown. Because <laughs> he's been yeah, in so much. Yeah. But it has to be Scottish, so yes. Congratulations, yeah, James. Yeah. You've won and your own award. That's James on the swally tally now as well. He's got an appearance on there. I'm sure he'll have many more by the time we're finished. I'm sure. I'm um, sure he will. The most Taggart appearances go to James Cosmo. Ah, oh, what a surprise. Yeah. Ewan McGregor Award for Gratuitous Nudity. That's not really a... I mean, there's a sex scene with Brenda and McLeod. Yeah, you see a bit of nipple. We'll give it to Brenda then, will we? Give it to Roxanne. Um, Well, yeah, you see her her bottom and a bit of nipple as well. So, yeah, I think you you have to give it to her. The Jake McQuillan Your Tease Out Award for Violent Moment. I guess it's the Marine, isn't it, that gets impaled after the machine guns um the Kurgan. Yeah, that's uh yeah, that is quite a... well, he doesn't die, but it's yeah, the most violent moment. It is quite a, a nasty moment. Yeah, I think I'd have to to agree and give it to you. Yeah, to that. There's also the scene which I I, I don't know if I'd kind of forgotten about it as much, but you know when um the Kurgan kidnaps Brenda and they're driving through the streets in New York and he starts running people over. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty violent moment there too. Yeah, um, certainly is. Must have uh, inspired Carmageddon in terms Carmageddon. of the. <laughs> no, I think Carmageddon is Death Race two thousand, isn't it? Oh, of course, yes. You're right yeah. there. And then, what, what was your favourite scene? Uh, genuinely, my favourite scene is uh, Connor and the Kurgan in the church. The the dialogue there. I keep your action scenes. I I just like the the banter between the two, and I thought it was very funny. And quite natural as well. And it was just nice to see them almost, because uh, they're in a church, kind of sacred place, can't do anything. So it was just nice to see them <laughs> having a bit of banter before not trying to kill each other. Yeah, I mean, the Kurg- the, 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 the Kurgan almost ruins the banter by revealing that he that he raped uh, Bonnie Heller. Yes, that d- does put a slight dampener on the humour uh, element there. I did sort of think, oh, you bastard. But yeah, yeah, that wasn't uh, not so nice. Uh, my favourite scene is the scene on the boat. Like from start to finish, I mentioned earlier, the kind of cutaway 
in the fish tank to the to Connor and Ramirez on the boat. But I'm going to give a runner-up prize to the the scene at the wrestling in the beginning. Not so much for the wrestling because I'm sure you and I have both seen much much better wrestling. But I just like like you, I just love the way it's shot. Mm. You know, with the with the camera circling the arena and everything, I, I think it's really good. So there can be only one. Unfortunately, there was more than one. They did about another four or five Highlander films. They probably should have stopped at one. Um, I've enjoyed talking about it. What are you? What's your choice for next episode? Episode seventeen. I've I've really struggled this time. I don't know why. I've I've always got something in my mind. Oh, first of all, I should say thank you very much for picking Highlander, and it, it was a joy to watch it after so many years and to to kind of get back into it. And I, I yeah, I don't think I'll leave it as long next time. I think it could be added to the rotation of films that I might chuck on in the background if I'm doing something. Do you know what I mean? always have those kind of films so I, I might put it into there um but yes i struggled for next time I, I changed my mind about three or four times and i couldn't decide what to do and then i thought when this episode goes out it'll be a couple of days before my birthday and when we record our next episode it will probably be around about my birthday and it's a big one i'm going to be 40 so you can send any gift vouchers to cultureswally at gmail.com and any birthday wishes to you know, uh, to our uh, socials. So it, it led me to think about big birthdays. And you have your 40th, you have your 21st, you have your 18th, and you have your sweet 16th. So next time I'd like to do the 2002 Ken Loach film, Sweet 16. Brilliant. Oh, I, I, I remember seeing that at the cinema. Um and, I don't, and I'm not sure if I've seen it since. I might have seen it once or maybe since then. So that's, yeah, I look forward to seeing that. Um, brilliant. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for listening, everyone. If you would like to get in touch with us on any news items that you've seen or anything you would like us to review and look at, then you can email us on cultureswally at gmail.com. And why don't you follow us on Instagram at culture swally pod or follow us on twitter we're not very active on there we'll need to sort that out at swally pod so thank you very much for listening everyone and thanks very much for making me rewatch highlander Craig. thoroughly enjoyed it <laughs> thank you okay until next time we'll speak to you until later next time all right bye see you soon. bye